Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod, and of course we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer himself, the hardcore legend, Mr. Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? Great, Conrad. Uh, great to be here for week three on Foley is Pod. I'm excited for it, man. We've got two in the rearview mirror, and today's topic is the story of how you lost your ear in Germany. Um, I guess we should just start at the very beginning for a minute. I mean, when you're first training with Dominic DiNucci, Maybe wrestling fans have seen what training camp's supposed to be like with Tough Enough, but that's a reality show. But I still can't imagine there was a day where Dominic said, okay, here's where we're going to do the hangman spot, kids. So how does that come about? There was never such a day. Uh, Dominic was a real big believer on the basics and the fundamentals, and he spoke in parable-like ways. So he would say, for example, you can't make a complete sentence until you learn the words. You can't make a paragraph until you learn your sentences. He wanted us to have the basic words and the basic sentences down before we went out and started constructing wild paragraphs. Uh, I think it was maybe a year into training where I decided I wanted to do something. It seemed crazy at the time. It was the the backdrop over the top rope, a la Randy Savage. Mm -hmm. Savage was a big influence on all of us. Uh, and I think that can be evidenced by the fact that for a little while in, in um, 1990-91, when I was trying to figure out how to take this middle-of-the-card Cactus Jack character and make him more threatening, uh, more uh, uh, more of a main event type guy, I sounded a little too much like Randy Savage. Mm. Did, not, did not think for a moment that I sounded that way when I was doing it wasn't until Eddie Gilbert called me out on it on a, uh, a radio show. And then when I listened back to the stuff I did in Global, which was just a couple weeks before my WCW started, I was like, wow, I, do, uh, I am taking on too many countenances of, of Randy Savage. Give but, me an example. Uh, um, let me tell you something, Joe Pettacino. So there's a little, it's Cactus Jack. But the K, you know, it's both of the voices come from inside the the chat. You know, they come from way down deep. You know, let me. I don't know if I actually said. Let me tell you something. So, and instead of yeah, it might be. I don't. It, man, you're calling me. I don't have evidence right now. But it uh, got all over you at the time. Like, it, dang, maybe yeah. it was ripping a little. Yeah, too much. yeah. So my yeah, but Eddie caught me off guard because I didn't know that was the case. But a lot of it was, the stuff was bottled, you know, the way Savage, it was like he wasn't taking a breath. So I'm going to Gilbert, when I get you, it's the Philadelphia Civic Center. It was a lot, a lot of tension in here and here without any breathing and in a deeper voice. And then it was a short segue from there to doing the stuff that would later be Cactus Jack that not many people would uh, confused with Randy's, but I'd say for the first, even first four or five months I was with WCW, there was a little bit of a uh, of an overlap, and uh, hopefully Randy takes that as a uh, you know the Savage family takes that as a compliment because I understand you know Lanny told me that uh, Randy was. Uh, um, inspired by uh, Furpo, the wild man. Yeah, Furpo. Yeah, 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 that's what I was looking yeah, up. Because yeah, I thought the oh yeah and all that that was really borrowed from him. Yeah, that was borrowed. We all borrow from yeah. each other. Uh, in this case, Randy would take that really beautiful backdrop over the top rope where he's landing on his feet and cr- crumbling like it, well, like it would be like a, 
something similar to what a paratrooper would do. But there's still a lot of risk on your knees and your ankles. And so we taped the heck out of my ankles, and it was a big buildup for me to do that move, and it didn't look nearly as good as Savage's. And later on, I would go on to just realizing that if stuff looked good in the ring and there was some question as to its authenticity, then if it looked good in the ring, it's going to look better outside on the floor. Yeah. And that was a, it was a big step, but it was a fairly easy step if you were willing to take the pain that came along with it. But as far as the hangman, I had taken note of it the first time in a magazine uh, where um, uh, exotic Adrian Street mm. had Randy Savage. It was it was Randy who had done the Hangman, right? And I never saw Randy do the Hangman a single time in WW, WWE or WWF. Uh, but it was a photo of the Hangman. Then it was the movie I Like to Hurt People. Awful movie, but still some good stuff in it, you know? And I did uh, steal a line from Terry Funk on the day that I met my wife, which was... Uh, when I confronted a race car driver who took exception with me saying that uh, what they did <laughs> wasn't real or wasn't a sport, I took Terry Funk's speech that said Primitive Man did one of only three things. They fought for, the, they swam for their life, they ran for the life, or they do what I do and fought for their lives. Uh, they did not get in a car and drive away, and thus unfolded the angle uh, I met my wife at. Um so I, I'd seen it in that. I'd seen it in that uh, movie. I'd seen it in the. Um, Who did it in the movie? Do you recall? I can't. I can't remember. They had a great array of wrestlers doing, uh, do, taking great bumps yeah. for the movie, and uh, and and Funk was in it, and uh, and Exotic Adrian Street. There's a lot of wrestlers in it. Good idea, mockumentary, but it was telling a story about a guy who had been decapitated using the hangman. So, of course, that intrigued me. And then I saw Don Morocco do it as a really creative way of a count-out. So he was counted out outside the ring. And so back then with the VCR, you could pause mm-hmm. and you could frame-by-frame frame it. And I said, okay, okay, here we go. So you have to make it look like it's part of your natural motion. You have to, in flying motion... Get your head in between second and third. Use your body's momentum and that bottom arm to twist the second rope over the top rope, and now you're hanging. So um, I, I will produce a photo for you of uh, a young Shane Douglas uh, looking down on uh, Cactus Jack, who'd been caught up at an indie show. So I was doing this as far back as as uh, '86 because it was one of those things I could do. It required timing and momentum, not pure athletic skill. And also there was a very definite price to be paid. Even in the days before the, the ropes were too tight. You yeah. know, on the de- But they were always going to be tight because you're twisting the second rope over the top rope. And so there's only a limited amount of tension. So, you know, the idea is once you're in, you have to then try to pull as much, just as much as you can just to squeeze out. But even when you squeeze out, there's an enormous amount of pressure on those ears. And uh, I, prior to uh, prior to Germany, I had been I had been stitched up on late night hospital visits about four times for that on same move, for that same move. And I'd probably been patched up another five or six times backstage. Uh, or in one case, uh, Gary Michael Capetta, the ring announcer, uh, mentions that his mom 
had on a couple of occasions tended to, to my wounds. Because Gary was a, he was the ring announcer. He was an employee. He didn't have to pay for his hotel rooms right. or his cars. And I liked riding with him. It wasn't like I was suffering. He was a good, fun guy to ride with. Uh, and he, he was like at the courtyard by Marriott, which is not where I was when I was making those choices. I would later catch on and become a mainstay with uh, the Midnight Express and Corny. And in the in the Ford Taurus, and then I would have to I would have to pay for my hotels because those guys like to be on their own. Sure. And besides, it was always interesting to hold a a, a drinking cup up to Stan Lane's uh, room <laughs> and hear what might be. When a guy shows up with twenty six bottles of baby oil, that's a good night for you to do some <laughs> investigative reporting. <laughs> um, so, so uh, you know what I hate to say this is this is borderline this is risque for Foley but I was thinking ah oh, they got the Folgers going on here and they've got that great jingle you know the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup and I'm thinking I'm guessing that guy never had an adventurous girlfriend or wife no he did not <laughs> he did not at all as good as his coffee is. I don't think I'm ready to put it on that other level. No, I can think of a few things that might be better. Uh, so I'm curious, the first time you try this spot, I mean, you're not actually doing it on a show. This is a practice thing. No, the first right? time I tried the Hangman was on a show. Um, in front of fans. Yeah, in front of fans. So uh, it was, you know, what's funny is um, I remember uh, Shane and I, when we, uh, we were part of uh, UWF, Bill Watts' UWF, was expanding into new areas. They were attempting to run shows in new areas because uh, they were real dependent on the the mid-southern oil towns. And when there was a downturn in the economy, you could see that reflected on the attendance. But Watts had this great syndicated package, and they started venturing to other cities or towns where their uh, TV was strong. So Shane and I, we worked uh, 100 West Virginia. That's where I met Missy Hyatt, who walked in on me while I was naked. And didn't walk in on me. It was just one of those uh, bathrooms where there's no stalls, right? And she happens to walk in, and the hardcore legend was uh, in the pooping process. So that was the first, <laughs> that was the first meeting. Um, and so Shane and I were tearing it down uh, by the standards of the day as independents. You know, we were we'd be the opening match, and we were doing everything we could, and we could do quite quite a few things, especially by the standards of the time. And I think that's the first night we threw in the uh, the Hangman in front of Eddie and Missy and B- Buddy Jack Roberts. But I'd probably done it a time or two before that. So a couple days later. Uh, Shane and I are walking from our motel. I won't even call it a hotel because it was a mo- mo- almost decidedly a motel. And Missy and Eddie, who are married at that time, drive by, and they can tell that Shane and I are talking over a high spot. And Eddie could tell what high spot it was just by the verbal language because Shane would kip up and he would give me an enziguri. And that's what would send me through the, the ropes. I see. And so they were able to deduce that just by our body language. So here we are. We think we're protecting the business. We're actually walking in public, going over high spots that Eddie Gilbert can call based on our body language. That's so, so I was using that bad boy as far back as 86. 
And a, with the knowledge that there was a price to pay for it, no one else, no one else dared do it. I think uh, there's some great footage uh, that I have managed to hold on to of Bray Wyatt asking me to show him that move in 2013. Wow. While I am in full Santa Claus regalia. So I, I said, hey, I, I sent it to him. And I said, someday when they do the Bray Wyatt DVD, you're going to want this footage. So yeah. I'll try to dig it up for you. That'd be cool to find. Hilarious. Right? The idea that Santa Claus is telling him how Santa to do it. Santa Claus is showing him how to do it. But now there's a definite. Now I look at those ropes. I was like, I don't, well, I don't think I can pull myself out. And on the night we we're going to discuss in Germany, I didn't. I did pull myself out, but it wasn't an altogether successful excavation project. But it was a it was a difficult, difficult move. And there would be the you know, and I'd have these big splits in the back of my ear mm. on four or five occasions. Um, I'd had it enough, Conrad, to know that you know the back of your ear is mostly cartilage; it doesn't bleed. It just, but it hurts, you know, and it's crazy. It's laid wide open, no blood, drop or two of blood. And then when we fast forward and talk in depth about the night in Germany, there was a lot of blood, which is why I realized this was uh, above and beyond any ear injury I'd I'd had doing this move. When you're getting those ear injuries, uh, not that night in Germany, but before, did it ever cross your mind that, hey, this is a possibility? This thing could come off? (laughs) No, 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 it hadn't. Um, because I thought the only way the ear would come off if it was cauliflowered. And some ears will do it, and some ears will not. And by virtue of the fact that I'd been through this thing, I guess, on like 10, 12 different occasions, to where even if you didn't have the split, if you did, you'd still get go through this process where the ear would turn all these colors. You know, go from a dark black and purple to a greenish hue and then it's tailing off on yellow and all that time it's incredibly sensitive and incredibly painful um in japan the reason all (laughs) all the workers walk around with the cauliflower ears is because it's encouraged and influenced it's a badge of honor it's a badge of honor and everyone wants it and you're it's it's almost like there's something uh missing if you don't have it so they do the, the, you know, what you're supposed to do if you think you have it, put ice on it, attend to it, drain it, whatever you have to do. Then in Japan, you know, they whack you in the ear and they break those blood vessels. And then instead of handing you an ice pack, they hand you a heating pad. Oh. Uh, yeah. And the guys want it. It's not something, it's not something that's uncalled for. It's called for and everyone wants it. But in my history, I just never got cauliflower ear. Even right. I amateur wrestled, you know, for my senior year, had this injury uh, 12, 13 times. It just never happened. So it never dawned on me that it could get worse. I thought, this is a price I'm willing to pay. You know, I have a split in my ear. It hurts like crazy. Was it always the same one? It was always time? the same one. It was always Never the, the inside ear, always the outside Right, ear. yeah. It was always the outside ear. And uh, oddly, when I did the King of the Death Match tournament in uh, Japan, I nearly lost the left ear in the barbed wire. So that would have left me in a very unique situation, being a, a man with no ears. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm curious, is there... Um, I mean, it doesn't sound like it, but is there a best practice to doing the spot? I mean, you want to be in the center of the ring, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what something people should be 
practicing in looser ropes. Well, that's what I wanted to ask because um, in my head it feels like, and again, I know you would never do this, but I'm thinking, man, if I know i got to do that spot, we're going to have to turn that turnbuckle a few times and loosen those ropes a little loosen more. Loosen up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and on the night in Germany, they were extra tight. Uh, I tried arguing that was WCW's doing and hiring a, uh, a ring crew that was actually a ro- rock and roll road crew instead of a, a you know, um, specialized ring crew. Uh, those rights, the ropes were tighter. I don't, yeah, I, and it's such a specialty move. If you use it too often, it, it becomes, mean, it loses some of its meaning. Well, you might tip your hand, too, if the audience sees the sees guys. Sees somebody out yeah. there loosening it up. Yeah. I thought when I got to WWE that the move would be easier. Because of the rope difference. Maybe the ropes. It wasn't that much easier. It, I mean, I, I, I did it maybe six, seven times in WWE, and it was always difficult to, to get out. And there's this uh, moment in mind games. Uh, this is one of the top, like, five, you know, five, ten seconds of my career is that Shawn Michaels and I have a lot going on, and it culminates with me uh, taking the bump and hanging my head in the ropes. Sean comes over, bam, I hit him with the mandible claw. And what he does is he's selling while simultaneously trying to help me get out of there, which is pretty cool. Instead of somebody coming and absolutely looking like they're trying to help their opponent out of a bad situation, Sean did it while he was selling. And I think Earl Hebner may have been in on that, trying to uh, get out of there. There was one other situation I did in a major match in WWE, where it was uh, uh, Mankind versus The Undertaker, uh, April 1997. So I'm the first... Revenge of the Taker. Yeah, Revenge of the Taker. And uh, as you and I talked about last week, uh, when I came in as Mankind, the internet was uh, maybe in its infancy at that time. Uh, Of course, you know, anyone who read the sheets knew that I was Cactus Jack, and anyone who had watched WCW... New, but I'd say 75% of the audience did not know. This is about a week before I give, uh, or maybe I've already given the interview with Jim Ross uh, that would turn the tide on that whole, you know, the Foley character and, and introduce the world to Dude Love. But at the time, nobody knew what I looked like. Maybe I was thinking that because this interview was out there, people were going to find out, so I might as well expose it anyway. And so I was going to do the hangman, and in getting out, the mask was going to stay. Oh, that's cool. Pretty cool visual. And because I was, at the time, no longer, uh, not a believer in special effects, really believed that if something was done to alter my look, it had to be that old school way, which Robert Fuller introduced to me as boogering the eye uh, with a towel, rubbing off some of the skin. And I thought, a towel is good. Sandpaper would be better. Oh. And so this was one of maybe three times that I had uh, molded some pretty good-looking bruises um, with a piece of sandpaper. And in this case, since the world is going to see me and I want to look hideous, now all I would have had to do is go to Jerry Lawler, who could have made me up to look hideous in ten minutes, right? Yeah. Uh, a Richie Posner, I'm sure, could have done something similar. But Lawler, he specialized in those bruises. And instead, I more or less rubbed off a good portion of the right side of my face, but never told Kevin Dunn that we were looking to expose 
the hideous nature of mankind underneath that mask. So we hit that thing perfectly. I squeeze out, out, off comes the mask, and they never showed a single solitary moment of mankind without his mask. Not wanting thought, to spoil it. They, they thought it had been a mistake. Yeah. So uh, uh, And so I walked around with a hideous bruise on my face, which turns into a scab after about three or four days. Gross. But that was what I was looking to do. Um, did you know it didn't air, or when did you find out it didn't Well, it was air? only when I watched it back, and I was like, but what, 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 yeah. and it's, again, that, that's all I had to do was go and say, listen, this is what I want to do. They went past it by Vince, and if Vince didn't want people to see him without the mask, he could have it. So that was a teachable moment for no, you. Definitely a teachable moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a lot of my mind. You know, we did the big uh, uh, bump through the ta- head first bump through the table that had never been done before no. or since, you know, uh, which was a <laughs> an unbelievable visual. A cool visual with my feet sticking up yes. through that big hall, right? Um, but going back to the hangman, there was always a, there was always a price to pay. Welcome back. This segment of Folia's Pod is presented by Zen Nicotine Pouches, the simpler way to experience nicotine satisfaction and enjoy lasting change on your terms. Zen Nicotine Pouches are fresher, simpler way to enjoy nicotine that's helped millions of people achieve lasting change by offering smoke-free and spit-free satisfaction. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I needed to make a change. Like when I turned 40, I knew I needed to make a change, but I just wasn't ready yet. I'm sure a lot of smokers and dippers out there can relate. And Zen understands there isn't just one right time to make a change. Everyone's timeline is a little different. Everyone's on their own journey. So whenever you feel like you're ready to take that first step toward change, Zen will be there for you with the right strength, the right flavor, at the right time. If you're thinking about making a change and want to learn more today, check out Zen Nicotine Patches at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So you talked a little bit about the difference between the ropes. And we fans have heard over the years that the WWF used real, actual ropes that were maybe wrapped in tape or painted or what have you. And then WCW... It was a cable with like almost like a garden hose around it. Kind of, yeah. A rubber coating yeah. over what we thought were elevator cables. And that's pretty much standard for uh, most rings that way, yeah. except for WWE using the rope. Some promotions may buy an old boxing ring. Uh, so here and there across the country or the world, there might be wrestling rings with ropes. But by and large, the WWE is the promotion that uses ropes. Did you have a preference, cables or ropes? Once I got used to the ropes, I liked the ropes. Um, I just saw uh, within the past few days um, X-Pac uh, stating a preference for the 18-foot rings with the uh, with the cables because he thought it kept the action going. So, As opposed to a 20-foot Yeah, I think that the 20-footer, it sh- I think it looks better on TV. And it uh, makes WWE stand out as the one company with the 20-foot ring. Um, but it feels like you're running through the Sahara Desert the first time you're in there. Those extra two feet might as well be two extra miles. It seems like you will never get there. And you have to you adjust your steps. Guys are so used to doing things a certain way. Instead of three steps, it's four Maybe, or five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but the ropes, I'd say, yeah, given my choice, I'd rather do the hangman in the ropes, but it's still, still tight, still. Did any, um, you know, these days we hear a lot of wrestlers talk to the younger generation and say, oh, you don't want to do this and you don't want to do that. Did anybody come to you in that era and say, mm, I don't know about that hangman spot cactus? Un- no, I'd say unlike the, the stuff that I did, the elbow and the backdrops on the floor where I'd be warned and reprimanded, I, I think, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, by basis of Robert Fuller, oh, oh, good old school spot, Jacko, that it, it, they liked the idea that somebody was doing one of their, their spots. Uh, on the... Um, uh, my a and biography, Rick mentioned that uh, Dory Funk Jr. used to do that with his foot. Uh, Adrian Adonis used to do a, he used to get knocked out, take a clothesline backwards with both his arms in there and get both arms done. But I've been with Like some, Andre. Yeah, like Andre. Well, but differently. And I, uh, Andre would get him tied up like this. Yes. Adrian would take the clothesline over the top rope. Oh, I see. And come up. And I remember years and years ago being with some good uh, pros and all trying to figure out how Adrian did it, and we we couldn't get it. We couldn't get it. So mine is, you know, I say it's simple in that this is what you do, second rope over the top rope, but it's a matter of timing. It's a matter of being willing to hang in there. Enough to long enough to make the move meaningful, and then you got us. You have to sell it. Uh, I will come out of my easy chair and drive down to whatever arena <laughs> someone is performing at. If I see someone no selling the hangman, because it's uh, yeah, it's it's believable, right? Sure. It's, it should be believable. Uh, there's a lot I've got a believable injury to show for it. And you just want to make sure people treat that respectfully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was a that was a. I didn't use it so much that it wasn't a surprise, but it was there for for me on a special occasion, which I thought that night in Germany was. So you had done this move for years at that point, including it sounds like Continental because you mentioned the Fullers. Yeah, yeah. Did you do it in world class? Uh, I did it in world class uh, because Chris Adams had seen me do it when uh, Watts was running those uh, shows. Uh, so Chris loved the move. I did it in Continental. I did it in World Class. Uh, I'm not sure if I did it in my first run with WCW, but I used it many times, especially at house shows. Yeah. At house shows, it was a great house show pop. And looking back on it, it's like, well, should I have been, you know, a great house show pop versus a four-hour emergency room stay? Like, nah, and looking back on it, probably not a good move, but... You know, when I was working with guys like Steamboat, who had worked with the best in the world, like I wanted something that I could do, especially given that I, you know, I didn't have the uh, gas tank that uh, some of the guys that he worked with uh, had. You know, no, I'm notably I'm thinking of Rick. Sure. And uh, and I didn't want to disappoint Ricky. Ricky, when I was working with him, had injured ribs too that we were working around. And so I was trying to have good matches that would you know live up to Steamboat's standards, and that make was, an impression. Yeah, that was one of the uh, one of the moves that I would throw in. So you mentioned a four hour emergency room visit. Was that protocol? If you got one, of, if you felt one of those splits in your ear, you know you're going to the ER. If it was bad enough, 
if it was bad enough, uh, or it might just depend on you know who. What I could was, they do at that point? I'm not saying that to be they, silly, but what is there to do? At they, that point? they stitch it up. I see. Yeah, so it was usually, I'd say in the 12 to 16 stitches range. Oh my! So I think you could say, well, look, you know, uh, I probably should have taken that item off the menu. <laughs> so you slept on your left side that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the the difference between going to the emergency room and not going to the emergency room might not be based on the wound itself, but might be based on whether or not you were taken off for the next town that night. If I you see. were riding with someone. So ice and uh, peroxide, whatever you could find, uh, new skin burned, uh, rubbing alcohol burned, peroxide bubbled up. Uh, and then sometimes they would, I, I would tend to it myself. Sometimes Gary Michael Capetta's mom would tend to it. Sometimes a nurse backstage would do a little something. And sometimes it was bad enough I'd go to the ER. So let's talk about how we got here. The event is March 16th, 1994. You're in Germany to take on Vader. Uh, but let's talk about just those WCW European tours. Yeah. This is a time we're here domestically. Frankly, the house show business is not what we would call strong. Mm-hmm. But it seems like when you go overseas, you're going to have a much bigger house. But boy, it was a, a different way of life compared to quote unquote making towns here in America, was it not? Yeah, yeah. I, w- I never really liked. I liked the freedom of being in a rental car. Mm-hmm. That's part of what I loved about uh, wrestling. I loved making the towns for the most part. And uh, in WCW, uh, my first year there, until Abdullah and company parted ways, I was with Abdullah. Uh, they waived the you know, th- three wrestler limit. You know, you had to have a minimum of three. For me and Abby, they let us go two, and they let me uh, rent a, a caddy. So I haven't rented a caddy since '91 <laughs> because it's, you know it's it's not in the, it's not in the budget. Um, but so we, I enjoyed riding with Abby. I enjoyed making those towns. I did not. I didn't enjoy being with the group all the time, twenty four seven. That's too much. I'm, I'm, I love the boys and the women, but I'm kind of a loner. You know, I, I like my hotel room. You know, I like my long drives. Um, so it was different, and also not. Uh, we were doing some uh, some shows in eastern, the old eastern Germany, which was. It was run down. It was d- dirtier. It wasn't real cheerful, you know, when you're doing... You tour- weren't in a tourist town. Right. We weren't in a tourist town. You know, we did we did a tour of Dresden, you know, because of its, uh, you know, uh, it's a famous, famous city in the course of human events. Um, but coming back to Munich, Munich is a western town, um... It still had this feeling of dreariness to it, you know. The the whole tour did. Uh, I think it had that feeling of dreariness for me because I had worked so diligently on my German, made it clear to the powers that be that I could cut promos in German and do interviews in German. And this is where you, you read the writing on the wall when one by one the WCW stars are being brought onto TV shows and whatnot. And here's the guy who worked on the German, speaks to German, and cuts pride, and you're not using him. I, I, th- I thought it was an intentional. You know, this is where I'm going to I'm going to risk sounding bitter, but if I uh, but if I'm going to be honest, I was I was bitter about it. 
I felt, uh, you know, I was, bit, I was bitter enough about it uh, and felt slighted enough that I gave my notice after this incident. This is where I read, really read the writing on the wall and thought, man, ah, this is wrestling. This is the one line of business where losing an ear is not only not a bad thing, but it could be a great thing. It doesn't matter that Leon did not actively help me get out or that he did not actively put me in there. I was in a match with Vader where my ear was ripped off my head, and that's uh, that seems like a li- as much as close to a license to print money in WCW as we had. It didn't matter that we worked eight, six months earlier on a pro. This is boom. This is new, coming out of the gates hot. And when I saw none of that happening in the buildup and none of that in the aftermath, and then given the, the conversation I had with Rick on the night of the show, which was that they were going to turn me back heel. So the night of the event, yeah. you met with Rick, I assume, before. Yeah, before. And does this happen in the arena? It's in the arena, yeah, yeah. And so we he had a comes long... over and says, hey, Cactus, I want to talk to you. Yeah, sort of deal? we had a long talk, and it was based almost exclusively around, and this is what I took from it. Right? Rick might have another, you know, he might say, no, this here was the basis of the conversation. What I took from it almost exclusively was that the beatings I had taken at the hands of Vader, uh, Rick said the most brutal beatings he'd seen, didn't result in a jump in the ratings. This is a time when they're judging the ratings not by 15-minute increments but by two-hour ratings. And you and I discussed before that we shouldn't be so beholden to the ratings, that they might tell a different tale, and you can't tell what percentage of those people are into it on a 2 on a scale of 1 to 10 or into it on a 10. Yes. And if you're losing some of the 1s and 2s, but you're gaining more of the 8s and 9s and 10s who are heavily into it, it's something that I could see and feel when I was out there. Like, I felt like I was one of the top guys in the company, and I felt like the babyface run had worked and that I could work with just about anybody in the company and have a good match. Uh, at the time, they were now teaming me up with uh, uh, Max Payne, and I liked Max, but I also understood it was a little bit of a, a step down from those main event probes, sure. which I was okay with because I'd watched a lot of wrestling, uh, especially basing it on the old WWF I used to watch. And you realize that guys would you know take a step down and be in a program, and then all they need is the right angle to boost them back up. Right. So I wasn't as concerned about the push until Germany, until I, until the it was kind of the trifecta. One is uh, now as I'm saying trifecta, there might only be two, but one was the complete lack of um, uh, use of my you know skills I brought to the table in Germany. And I guess the bi- the big one was refusing to do anything with the ear. With the ear, which just seemed. Well, what did Rick say afterwards? Well, he said. Well, he, you know, he just said you're a heel. He and then, but is the basis of saying I was a heel was that? Uh, I mean, I could say, hey, just listen to the fans; they're behind this thing. Uh, but the ba- main thing was the ratings. Because they lived and died on the ratings. You know, I remember going up to the office. uh, uh, May or may not have been the time I brought the exotic dancer up with me to get my check. I can't remember. But it was on the door. It said, welcome to 
It's WCW home of the 3.5. I think it was 3.5 they'd done on a uh, Clash of the Champions ratings. And I think it was also the date that Harley Race brought in the Kongs, you know, uh, and Jesse had a field day talking about their ring attire. Yeah. You know, um, so they... Nobody gave the Kongs the credit. They, there was, you had that ability to see into the ratings whatever you wanted to see. Sure. And a few people had benefited. I think Rick really benefited from uh, a high rating when they featured, uh, they did like a Ric Flair tribute show or something and while he was with WCW. And after that rating came out, it came out I think Jim Hurd's state of mind was, we need that guy. We And Rick wasn't completely happy and... WCW, and so within a few weeks or a couple months, Rick was back in WCW. Uh, and of course, he's Ric Flair, and he's always going to make an amazing mark on the product. But I think the the fuse was lit when they saw the rating he had brought in. So when Rick is having this meeting with you, you know, at different points, Rick was sort of running creative. Now, of course, he to this day denies that was the case, but he definitely had input. Yeah. Did you get the takeaway or the vibe from your meeting with him, this is Rick's idea, or this was something handed down to him saying, nope, they're not buying him? Um, I I did not know. Yeah. I did not know. Um, You know, and I can't remember if any plans were revealed to, uh, you know, what, Cactus Jack would do as a heel because I, I would have loved to have wrestled Rick. You know, I would have worked myself into the best shape I possibly could and done my best, uh, you know, work up to the standards that Rick had set. But I didn't feel the need for it because I knew that the babyface thing was working. Yeah. And uh, once the injury happened, I did I did work out my time in WCW as a babyface. So there was no turn. But I just thought that that was a missed opportunity. A missed opportunity for sure. At that point, I mean, you know, I know we're skipping around a little bit, and we'll talk about what happened right here in Huntsville, Alabama, one day. Okay. But did you and Rick? I mean, did you think? What did you think Rick thought of your performance and your persona in '94? Did you know that that was? Because you know he wrote in his book that you were a glorified stuntman or whatever he wrote. Right. But you didn't have any inkling inclination to think he thought that way in '94, did you? No, uh, my. Dealings with Rick, especially when he came back, were largely uh, positive. I'll say this. I think Rick yelled at me twice after matches, and the next day apologized on both those occasions. Uh, and he didn't need to do that. That was uh, it was really you know, big of him, considering where he was in the business and where I was. I, 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 I'd be lying if I told you I had any idea what Rick thought of me as a performer in 94. I don't really, don't really know. I just know sometimes we hear we fans hear that, you know, guy A doesn't like guy B for whatever reason, and therefore just dismisses him. Yeah. And sometimes it's a professional rivalry, and sometimes it's just personally they don't like the guy. But you didn't get that vibe at all when you're having this conversation with Rick. It felt no. like a business decision. Yeah, yeah, I did. I didn't feel like he was screwing me over. I felt like this was the answer they had arrived at conclusion they'd arrived at and i just i just disagreed with it in the scheme of things it doesn't matter but i am curious when they didn't go with the guy who spoke german who did they go for that media is it everybody Sting but the guy and i'm not guy. talking about the main event guys i mean they they use them but they i would say they used half the bus so if there were 25 guys on the bus say they probably used 
10 to 12 people who were not crazy about doing right. uh, promotion to begin with. And here I am. I've pitched it to the company, told them I'm working on it. It wasn't like I was working on it from scratch because I had the um, uh, had the, the middle school German in there. I had a little background, but I would add to it. And I worked on it. I mean, I worked on it for a few hours every day to the point where I could handle myself with uh, promos. But not just promos, but appearances. So I thought that's really something cool. And later on when I went to, uh, I think that night that I lost the, the, the year, I did cut a promo. And, and like a lot of things, it wasn't nearly as good after I did it as I thought it was while I was doing it. But I think basically I was saying, you know, uh, Vader, you say to, you know, fight your fight. I say, live my life. Yeah, it's kind of corny now. Uh, but I was yelling it out there. And, uh, and and I could sing German folk songs. I just thought they knew, just like they knew it would have gotten over for me to be cutting in passion promos in the United States after losing my ear, uh, that they just decided not. There's no plans for you. That's not it. Not to do it. They had to know it would have worked. Sure. And I don't think they wanted it to work. Do you think um, when we're saying they, sometimes people really think we mean this guy or that guy yeah. but i've also heard from a lot of folks in wcw that man it was just for lack of a better phrase just a disorganized mess you know sometimes the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing so i almost wonder did the person that you communicated hey i've learned german i'd be excited to do some media over there maybe that never got communicated to the media department within turner you're giving them way too much credit okay right now. yeah no somebody willingly dropped the ball i, I see yeah not mistakenly dropped it do you have any idea who it would have been? Um, I don't. I don't. Yeah. All right, Mick, it's time. All of our listeners have been wondering when I was going to get you uh, smartened up about this. Are you familiar with Blue Chew? I have heard of it. Well, now you're going to learn all about it. This is like a hot tag for your wiener, Mick. <laughs> okay. Okay. Are they going to use that in their... Yeah. Here's the deal, boys and girls. You know all about Blue Chew. Even Mick does. And, and Mick is is a podcast rookie here, right? But yeah. you know this episode sponsored by Blue Chew. You knew that as soon as you clicked play and you saw my name. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it's chewable tablets. And Mick, you'll love this at a fraction of the cost. Fraction of the cost, really? Now, I like that. Now, here's the real reason on that, Mick. They have. They are basically offering like almost the generic version. So it's the same stuff if you use Viagra and Cialis, but now it's in chewable form, which means you can take it on an empty stomach. You can take it day or night. You can be ready whenever an opportunity arises, or maybe it's time for that elusive run-in. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, Just, that's boom. right. The Good hot to go. tag. Come in. The house of fire. Yeah, working from underneath, going over. I mean, we can get it all in here. The process is simple, guys. You sign up at BlueChew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part, Mick. It's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And I know this is important to you, Mick. BlueChew's tablets are made right here in the USA. The good old red, white, and BlueChew. It's prepared and shipped directly to your door all in a discreet package but Mr. Foley there won't be anything discreet about your package with Blue Chew so uh, (laughs) boys and girls check this out 
If you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free. Can you beat that price, you man? You can't beat it, but you got to have the disclaimer about side effects, right? Side effects include smacking the mat. Yes. Firing up into a fighting position and saying, come on, and rushing your hair. Come on, you son of a cock, cock, and if you're not careful, an accidental eye poke. I mean, you never know. You just never know. Come on, boys and girls. Try this out for free. You can't beat free. All you got to do is use our promo code FOLEY at checkout. Now, you will have to pay $5 shipping, but why would you not do that? Why Come on would now. you not do it? It's BlueChew.com. The promo code is FOLEY. You receive your first month for free. Just visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring today's podcast and apparently... Mrs. Foley's baby's boy's baby boy. I don't know, but you're going home with some today, and I'm going to need to report back. I am a scientist. Okay. Uh, I can almost assure you that you are going to become my wife's least favorite person. Really? <laughs> virtue of giving me You're going to be pestering her all the time? Um, possibly. Hey. Here's what's good about you in particular. Uh, you had three bites at the apple at the Royal Rumble. Yeah. I mean, I think... If I'm thinking what you're thinking and you're thinking what I'm thinking. I think thinking, I am thinking what I think you think I'm thinking. We start with, with Cactus Jack. Maybe we transition to Mankind. We finish with Dude Love or vice versa. Just switch it up. Just use promo code Foley at BlueChew.com. So, uh, again, the date is March 16th, 1994. We're going to do a whole episode on Vader, I'm sure, sometime. But this is not your first Vader match. No. I mean, this is probably match 100 or more. I mean, you had no telling how many matches with him. Did you guys have, like, a standard match? Well, we've often heard, you know, from, from other folks who would say, and I think Jim Ross even tells a story on his podcast, that he once heard Jack Briscoe and Harley Race talking about a match. Maybe it was Dory and Harley but as they're getting dressed, they said, you know, something like, should we do Chicago or New Orleans? Because they both knew, all right, this is the type of match we yeah, do there. Yeah, and yeah. Did you have a routine like that with Vader? The routine was Leon beats the hell out of me and I, <laughs> I fight for my life. For real. That's what it felt like. Leon called real, real very realistic uh, match as a heel. And he was free. He, I wrote this in Leon's uh, uh, book. Underrated book, by the way. They did a good it is, job. Yeah, the book. guy did a good job, and I told him, wow, man, you must have really hung in there because Leon, uh, you know, not, Leon could be a, a handful. Um, grumpy every now and again. He could be grumpy, yeah, he could be grumpy. And so I thought the writer uh, did, a really, did a really good job in working with Leon, and they caught him at that time period where he only had the two months, two years, sorry, two years to live. And by the time the book came out, Leon wasn't with us anymore. Um, so I wouldn't say that we had a match. There was a pattern to the match, which is he's going to basically, I, I have to try eventually to knock down this impenetrable wall. Right. So I said in the, uh, in the forward that, uh, man, nobody was a more convincing wall. And you could knock it down piece by piece if you were willing to work for it. And if you weren't, he was going to shut you down and eat you up. So it really forced me, because I'm not a naturally aggressive person, to turn that up a couple notches and uh, fight from underneath. And then when the time was right, Leon would take 
bumps for me, and uh, I loved working with him. I considered it like my Fraser Ali, especially when I did not think that I would ever reach heights. You know, I did not think there'd be a WWE run. Uh, you felt I, this was as good as it yeah, gets. and I and I felt like when I was in uh, my big pay per view main event with him in October '93, I could tell by the way the show had been written uh, moving forward that I wasn't part of the mix. So I like uh, here's my last hurrah. So uh, when I was in New Orleans doing my show, I talked about how I took you know I was I was uh, you know near the crowd by the guardrail. And back in the days before cell phone cameras, took somebody's very real camera and used it on Leon. And, you know, when you use something like that up close, you got to bring it. So that thing was in pieces when I handed it back. Probably not the happiest guy in the world. I just ruined his quality camera. But then I turned, I wheeled around like this just with my head and scanned the crowd. And as I did that, section by section got on their feet and came alive. And I remember thinking, this is the height of my career but also the lowest point of my career because I will never reach this height again. That's the way I was thinking in that match. So I never thought that... I always felt, in a way, like the angle was booked to fail or at least booked not to succeed because he was already in the next program with Sid. There yeah. was no intangibles out there, but what if they tear the house down? Um, and we had that horrible build, which was the... Uh, Lost in Cleveland, so <laughs> so they uh, Eric Bischoff mercifully pulled the plug on that like eight eight weeks into a twelve week uh, run, and then they just had me come out and I acted like it had all been a swerve to uh, you know to to get inside Leon's head, and we ended up having a great match. Uh, I ended up to, that's where I took the the bump on his back, which was specifically designed to end my career. And I remember being so disappointed that it hadn't. And at the time, my Lloyds of London was not, it wasn't like a major uh, windfall. It may have seemed like, it would have been like what I made for a year and a half. But I was so frustrated by the whole process that I did want out. I did want out of What the, was your backup plan? Uh, I don't know if I had one at that time. You know, we were living pretty frugally. We had a nice little house, but it was, you know, nothing special. I don't know that I had a backup plan, Conrad. You were just frustrated in that moment. I was just so frustrated that this business that I had, you know, given so much to, uh, in some ways that had allowed me to live out my dreams, wasn't loving me back like I, like I thought it should. Do you think being a loner hurts you a little bit? It's the old expression yeah. I've heard, you know, business is done in the bar. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. It's not a notorious partier. So I'm just wondering, if you were out late night raising hell with the Stan Lanes and the Ric Flairs and all of that, do you think that would have changed anything? Maybe. Yeah, may, maybe. Um, I do know that when I got to WWE, I was relieved to find that you didn't have to be close friends with Mr. McMahon for him to utilize you. Yeah. So uh, he was, and, and also in WCW, there was a feeling that everyone was playing with someone else's money. Yes. So when he got to WWE, it was, at least at that time, now I see some things that make me question whether that's still the case. Uh, well, they're a publicly held company also. So Well, but I mean, guys a, today say, and I think Paul Heyman has done interviews saying, now you play to an audience of one. Vince. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. And that right. was not always the case. But he would see what was working, and it, point being, you didn't have to be out and about. You know, you didn't have to be close to Vince. I think the first year I was there, hello, hello, Vince. You know, how are you, Mick? I'm, I'm doing good, sir. That's what I like to hear. You know. That was it, but that didn't prevent me from uh, main eventing a couple pay-per-views. The Vic SummerSlam thing, yeah, all that. Yeah. yeah, so I did realize when I was in WCW, I think you're you're onto something that uh, that uh, some yeah, there was a correlation between. Uh, well, let's talk about um, Vader for a moment because Vader and I think yourself, you, you guys had both wrestled in Germany for Auto way back when. Yeah, right. Yeah, Leon had been there for the entire length of the tour which was pretty arduous even though you're wrestling in the same place every night for six or seven weeks at a time you're in a little caravan slat which is a small small trailer home and leon was there with his wife and a baby wow and uh, i remember i was going a little stir crazy in there to where i actually used my ear to get on an earlier flight you know once my uh match was over I wanted to get home. I mean, I always wanted to get home. And so I uh, I wrapped up my ear. <laughs> had the uh, the photo when it had just been lost. I tried to get on the plane. They weren't going to let me in. I said, it's a medical emergency. I just lost my ear. And boom, they put me on the plane. And, yeah, I got home. Wow. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, I, I had never heard that piece of the story. <laughs> so was there... Um I'm just wondering, was there a different style match that you guys felt like would connect in Germany compared to American wrestling since you had both been to Germany before and worked with Otto? No, here was the issue at hand was that we wanted to live up to those standards uh, that we had set. On American pay-per-views. American pay-per-views and house shows. And in in particular, I don't want to say in particular, but there's a really cool exception, which was a UK house show. And a guy who had been either Manchester or Birmingham said, I was sitting there with my friend, and I said, I can't believe they're doing this to each other on a house show. And I said, that is so strange. That's exactly what I was thinking while that match was going on. Like, Leon was trying to break my nose. And I remember, I can't remember if it was uh, uh, who was in charge at that time, Uh, but they were on hand and saw it and they couldn't it was just a brutally physical match for a house show it was uh, above and beyond you know what anyone should be delivering um at an untelevised show or i would argue on any show the issue i had with leon in germany is that he was hurt now uh, people say leon may have been a hypochondriac for anyone who says Leon was a baby, they haven't seen uh, footage of Leon pushing his own eyeball back into his socket That's exactly in Japan right. and uh, continuing to wrestle. I think once you've been through that, then maybe if you've done been through that and you want to call Leon a baby, go ahead. Until then, cut him some slack. Um, but he did believe he, you know, he did believe he was injured that night with his arm, and he didn't think he could wrestle. And I told Leon if he just let me do the hard work that we could have a pretty good match. And so that included creating the bells and whistles uh, without Leon um, suffering. And so that's why the hangman was called on that particular night. So you're you're putting the match together with Vader. I mean, at this point, you guys have worked together a ton. And I know that, you know, a lot of guys are critical of Oh, boy, the guys these days, they like to plan everything out. But Macho Man was doing that way back yeah, when. Sure. So was DDP. 
Did you guys have that sort of a formula, or was it just, we're going to call it in the rain, we've done it enough? I think that was the way Leon usually liked it. Um, and that's the way I, I liked it at the time. I also, I'll tell you that I, I had three matches in the entirety of my career that were planned out from A to Z, and two of them were the top five matches of my career, and the other one was put together from A to Z by uh, Wing Kenimura in Japan to the point where he handed me this long <laughs> soliloquy or whatever. And I looked at it, even as a guy who likes to have a lot of input in what I do, I looked at it, looks good to me. And then it was just a matter of trying to remember all those things. So although that wasn't the way I preferred to do it, I had a lot of success when I did do it that way. And honestly, in today's environment with the high def and the cameras right up in your face and having to do complex things, I don't see how you, I don't see how you could just call it in the ring. It's too, yeah. I, I think that's a bygone era. That's almost like being able to say the uh, Catholic Mass in Latin. It's like it's an admirable skill, but I don't know how useful it is anymore. Yeah. So you wrote this in your book. I was probably the sport's foremost practitioner of the move, and I had the scars to prove it, about 50 of them behind both ears. It's funny, as many times as my ears were stitched, as many times as I would watch them turn black to purple to blue to slight shades of green and yellow, I never did have a problem with cauliflower ears the way some guys do. There you go. As a matter of fact, unless you look closely behind my ears at the zippers that decorated my auditory landscape, you wouldn't know that I'd been a veteran of so many late-night emergency room visits. Um, I guess the question in all of this, and this is going to come up a lot through our podcast, I'm sure, what's your wife think of this? Every time you come home, you did it again? It feels like she had to be frustrated from time to time, no? <laughs> I don't know if I was always informing her about the emergency room visits. Uh, she was aware that my ears were taking a beating, and I, I had a, an ability to sell that stuff as if it wasn't a big deal. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to put myself back in her shoes. I remember one time crawling down the hallway to my hotel in Savannah because I had a false count anywhere match with Sting. I think in 91 or 92, and I was kind of hurting, and so I was like, I'm going to use the ha-ha approach. And as Sting was using the plunger, didn't even occur to me to wash off the plunger in those days, because I was hardcore. As Sting was applying... This is not a new plunger. This is not a new plunger, okay. in the least. This is the Savannah Civic Center plunger. And I could say, Sting's got that plunger on my face, and the crowd's not reacting. And so whatever jokey stuff I had lined up, because you can have some fun in those... Uh, hardcore type matches, false count anywhere. It was like, no, plan B, we're going to go with the uh, uh, with the physical stuff, the high-impact stuff. And I really would pay a price for it on those nights, you know. So I remember I was 26, and I'm crawling to my hotel room. You know, that's a, was, the price was pretty severe. So she knew what she was getting into when she, uh, you know, when, when we got together. Uh, but as I, t- as I told my children and beyond the mat, like, yeah, just a boo-boo. Daddy's going to be okay. I, I, I mean, I convinced an audience, a major part of the uh, North American and worldwide audience, that I thrived on it or maybe didn't even feel it, right? Yeah. And so it wasn't that difficult for my wife. You know, I didn't, I didn't overplay my, uh, my injuries when I was home. I don't think I complained about much. You know, my daughter used to see me really hurting, you know, in my later years. And she'd be like, 
Dad, isn't there something you could take? You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to be okay. Can you get me some ice cream? Like, you know, I, that was my outlet for the stuff I did. But I was very realistic going into the business, knowing what I wanted to accomplish and knowing what the physical payment was going to be. And I accepted it. I didn't complain about it. And uh, I don't, I think my wife felt like I wasn't taking on any more uh, than I could take at that point. And then as I got older in, WC, in WWE and I couldn't do the things I wanted to do and I started leading with my head more, then that became an issue. It's just fascinating to think about, you know, when this era is. This is after you've taken the power bomb on the floor from Vader and we did the whole amnesia thing. But this is still almost a year before the King of the Death match, yeah, right? Yeah. So. A year before the King of the... Oh, yeah, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I was thinking King of the Ring. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was under, me and Undertaker. Yeah, it was a year before the King of the Death match. I'm just wondering, you know, did you have... You know, you sort of laid out once upon a time that you had almost like a wish list or a set of goals, and you were trying to check these boxes. You want yeah. to main event a pay-per-view. You want to be in a pay-per-view that gets more than X number of thousand buys and all that. Did you have a set of goals like that at this point in 94? <sighs> I don't think I started on the goals uh, until I got to WWE. I think that's when I was doing the reading of the book uh, by an author named Charles J. Givens, um, who was a financial guy. Um, that's when I really started, say, you know, really working on saving everything I could, not just in the bank account, but trying to make that money grow a little bit. And he was a big believer in uh, goal in setting goals, and so I started setting goals I'm just thinking through like you would develop a career around these major moments yeah and this is one that's going to happen when there's no cameras rolling but then the whole deathmatch thing really took over the underground tape trading I mean you became you know this is before anyone was an internet darling but you were that in 95 and then you have these crazy over the top stunts in the WWF and this is, if it's not the first one, it's got to be one of the first few. I mean, off the top of my head, the, the Nesty Plunge with yeah. Mel Mascaris, and then the whole Vader bump that we've talked about, the power bomb on the floor. Would this be four as far as these major moments where you're leaving an impression? And this one wasn't even intended because right. there's no cameras rolling. Right. They're lucky that they, uh, that they captured or they didn't. Someone captured a bootlegger. Video. Yeah. And then WWE, by virtue of owning WCW, established that anyone who had a camera was doing so illegally. Right. And that it was their footage to, sure. to use. So uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, so it was captured by that guy. But, you know, this is, um, this is not a knock on, on Rick or any, will, you know, <laughs> willingness for me to open old wounds. And I was glad that on the A&E uh, biography that Rick was the counterpoint guy. As long as you're going to have a counterpoint guy, it might as well be the best guy. Sure. Um, but Rick said, you know, it wasn't sold out. You don't need to do that. It's like, if I had been setting my goals and working on my career based on which shows are sold out, then you and I are not having this conversation that I never make it to WCW, let alone WWE. And in honesty, not a lot of shows 
were sold out in WCW. So I Especially would argue, in that era. And so I would argue that, you know, Rick had most of his best matches in front of crowds that were not sold out. You know, the sure. Superdome in uh, Louisiana, I think they had a thousand people in that huge venue. Yeah. And they, they wrestled like it was sold out. I yes. Mean, so I think that's a... I don't think that's a valid criticism uh, to say you shouldn't do anything because it's not sold out. But it is something a lot of people say. Uh, like, yeah. Now, if you're saying there's nobody there, like Tracy yes. Smothers said to me in 95 when I had the big barbed wire match, Cactus, there's not too many people there. Promise me you won't do anything crazy. That's that's one thing to say. There's nobody there. But, yeah, and to say it's not sold out would be right. no reason at all, especially when... My goal was to have a good match that would live up close to the standards that Leon and, I, Leon and I had set while understanding that I was going to have to do far more of the work that night. So I thought, and it was a move I had done in, you know, I had done it repeatedly. I'd paid a price for it. And in my own estimation, that was a price I was willing to pay. And then when it turns out, you know, I lost my ear well it didn't mean i stopped doing the move right i uh, i did it another handful of times although you could clearly say if you're going back to the menu yeah that's the moment when you take that item off the menu yeah for and sure. it's still on there yeah so mick after a big match back in the day you know it's been said once upon a time especially in new york Vince would take the guys out for a big steak. Maybe once upon a time it was Smith and Walensky, something like that. Everybody loves steak, do they not? Oh, man. I was at Smith and Walensky's uh, with Al Snow and Kevin Kelly. And Mr. McMahon walked in with a bunch of people. And then uh, word came over that he was picking up our check. Wow. I'd never been so embarrassed because this is Smith and Walensky, one of the top steakhouses in New York City and the country. Yeah. And the bill for three people was $37. So we were going cheeseburger, water with lemon in it. Yeah, so we were there. I think if you want to enjoy some of the finer things, you need to go with Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks is going to get you the same great steak that you've been dreaming of. But boy, it comes right to your house. And here's a little gift-giving wisdom from Omaha Steaks. Dads want steaks. And with Father's Day right around the corner, there isn't a better gift than Omaha Steaks. Visit omahasteaks.com and type Foley in the search bar and order the Dads Want Steaks package. For just 99 bucks, this limited package will include 16 mouthwatering entrees he's guaranteed to love. We're talking smoky, tender-wrapped bacon fillets, gourmet jumbo franks, and their air-chilled boneless chicken breasts. And for a sweet finish, what about those delicious caramel apple tartlets? I'm getting hungry just thinking about it, Mick. And as a special gift for our listeners, when you type Foley, that's F-O-L-E-Y in the search bar, and you order the Dad's Want Steaks package, you'll also get eight free Omaha Steaks burgers. These burgers are full of bold, beefy flavor made from 100% Omaha Steaks, and now they're bigger than ever at a whopping six ounces. Six ounces? Six ounces. Come on now. We're not talking about a quarter pounder. We're talking about a quarter and a half pounder. This is a lot of poundage here. A lot. Right? I'm just saying, don't wait. Send Dad more than a gift. Send him an experience he'll love and can share with you. You see, that's the pro tip right there, Mick. Because if you just get Dad a tie, when are you ever going to get to enjoy that tie? 
But if, if you get dad Omaha steaks, he's going to grill them. He's going to invite you over. You're eating good, too. It's kind of a gift for both of you. I have to tell you, as a guy who's tr- who has been cutting down on the meat consumption, you need to take that that steak experience and make it something special. Yes. That's why when it comes to red meat, if it's not Whataburger and it's not Omaha, I don't know if I can take part. I got to recommend it. Go to omahasteaks.com, type Foley in the search bar, and order the Dad's Want Steaks package. You'll get 16 entrees and four desserts, plus eight free Omaha Steaks burgers. Omaha Steaks isn't just steak. It's the best steak of your life, guaranteed. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword Foley. I'm curious, you know, just in terms of the timing, you know, there's the old game that we hear about, telephone, telegram, telewrestler. <laughs> yeah. And that summer, we're going to get the big showdown with, with Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. Hulk Hogan's coming to WCW. Did you, at this point, had you heard Hogan might be coming in? And did you think, perhaps, that you would be an opponent for him? Because what we had seen in the WWF was Hogan needed a heel factory. Just one big bad guy after another... Uh, from Kamala to a big boss man to whomever. And it felt like the Cactus Jack persona, if it was a heel, could have been a prime candidate for Hogan. That's a great point, Conrad. I don't think I ever once saw it that way. I think because by the time Hulk came, I had already given my notice. Right. In my head, it wasn't a matter. It wasn't, it wasn't a heel versus babyface equation. It was Mick Foley equals no future here. Yeah. Um, so when Hulk came in, Kevin Sullivan and I were teaming up. Um, we uh, Max Payne and I had had a heck of a match with the Nasty Boys. Unbelievable. Um, and that was supposed to be my last match before I had that surgery done. And so I actually said something on that. This is where it's a strange thing because you're uh you're you're in the zone because I'm walking from the uh, uh the name of the hotel will come to me in a second it was just across the parking lot the clarion the clarion uh was just across the parking lot from the the venue uh the all state arena um which is not in downtown chicago yeah. but it's uh in a suburb it was right across the parking lot i was already on edge because I felt like this uh, uh, thing with uh, me and Vader had been dropped prematurely yeah. and my push had been dropped and so I was uh, not so much confronted but approached by a camera crew uh, because Missy Hyatt had filed a claim oh. against WCW mm-hmm. and I said the immortal words kind of in in kind of in character but I said, if you can reach down into Ted's deep pockets, go ahead and do something to those words. Basically, going, hey, go ahead and get some money out of Ted. And I remember uh, the next day, Eric Bischoff calling me up and asking if I'd said that. I said, yeah, I guess I had. So I was, it was a harsh reprimand. Um, and then I think on that same day, Kevin Sullivan called me up. Uh, he had heard I was leaving to have my ear fixed and he said brother can you put that off a little while um uh evad had been injured remember that was uh, yeah. uh dave sullivan who uh had dyslexia was a big hogan fan was teaming up with kevin and he wanted to know if i would take 
uh, Kevin's place to take on the Nasty Boys. And, uh, okay. And so we ended up being pushed and even winning the, w, the WCW tag team titles while I was kind of in the doghouse. So it was, it didn't bury me by any means, not by any means. Uh, I mean, WCW, it was always going to be a secondary title, but it was a nice run, and it was with Sullivan. I owed a lot to Sullivan because we'd, he'd done for me in 1990. So I had given my notice, but they pushed me. They pushed me, and I think I said at the show uh, that you were at in Huntsville a couple of weeks ago, I was like, they pushed me, but they never once sat me down and asked me to reconsider. Yeah. So if they had ever sat me down and said, hey, look, Hulk's going to need some opponents. We think a heel Cactus Jack would be a great opponent for Hulk. Uh, we'd like to keep you on for another, you know, for another year. Uh, then I may have uh, taken that ramp. But no one ever sat me down and asked me to reconsider. And uh, so I was, you know, setting up my, uh, not my debut with, uh, with ECWs. I'd done something in conjunction with ECW as part of WCW. Including the tag titles, which we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah that, was, that got me some heat. And that was a good promo, too. Oh, fantastic. That was a great promo. So when I got all the heat for spitting on the titles, my question to Rick was, did you see the promo? Did you see the pro? Like in context, it's. I'm not burying WCW just because I spit on their title. I, I specifically mentioned how much I love that title, how much it meant to me, but that I'd lost even more that night. And there's the fact that I'd lost to Sabu. And I'm saying that and putting him over as strongly as I could because it was told, I was told how important this alliance was. So I was doing what I thought was best for WCW. And came across like I was burying WCW, which I was not. I uh, I just can't help but wonder, you know, the old hypothetical. What would Cactus Jack and Hulk Hogan look like? At, I don't know, say Halloween Havoc '94. That could have been something else. Yeah, uh, because Hulk and I are both limited physically. Yeah, but. Um, as far as getting people involved in his storylines, man, he's got a tra- track record that's pretty much second to none. It, it would have been a lot better than the with the Dungeon of Doom we got. Let's Is that what they that. got? Is that- they got the Dungeon of Doom with Earthquake. Was He thought he was a fish. and Yeah, it was a lot of less uh, yeah, than stuff. If, yeah, if we had done the, the turn and they gave me some mic time... Uh, I think it could have been good. I think Hulk and Mick Foley could have been. Am I, now I'm talking about myself in third person. <laughs> I think Hulk and I could have uh, could have had a good match in TNA if I hadn't left there yeah. early. And I, I've uh, when I'm asked about Hulk, I'll say two types of people in the world. The type of person who's going to pretend it's not a big deal to be in the ring with him and the type of person who's going to acknowledge that it is a big deal to be in the ring with him and when i saw we had chemistry in the ring i thought oh we could have done him we could have done a match not saying it would have been explosive not saying it would have ranked high up there on the five star meter but in 94 uh, yeah nine, 94 I, i'm talking about oh, 2010 yeah. but in 94 oh yeah yeah we could have we, we could have burned it down in 94 sure yeah. so uh 
You uh, you mentioned earlier that you learned how to speak German. Do you, did you retain any of that? Do you still speak a, li- a little bit? Yeah. Can you give us a "Have a nice day" in German, <laughs> or a "Bang bang"? Or a bang a bang is the same thing. Haben Sie ein netten Tag, or or netten Tag. But I can still say "Vergessen Sie nicht mein Ohr" and the plastic Zuka zu bringen, which means please don't forget to bring my ear. In the plastic bag. <laughs> That's some good English. And I remember the first time we went over there uh, with uh, with WWE, Paul Bearer said, Mankind would like to speak a little bit of German. And the Mankind character was really dark at that time, you know. So I went, Mein Hut. Er hot. Dry ecken. That's a, it's a folk song over there. Dry ecken. Hot. Mein Hut. Real slow. Even more deliberate. Und hat er nicht drei Ecken? Das ist nicht mein Hut. And at that second, I started dancing. Mein Hut hat drei Ecken, drei Ecken hat mein Hut. And everybody started dancing. And this is when mankind was a heel, right? And then as soon as, soon as we finished the song, I said, Ich hasse alles euch, which means I hate all of you. And then I cut them off and made them be- feel bad for doing it. But it was that idea, like, whoa, he's got the German. He's one of us. He's one of us. And then, boom, cut them off in their own language. So, yeah, I did hold on to some of it. I held on to some of it. That's tremendous. Um, so, as the story goes, uh, Vader was hurt and apparently was asking for the night off. Flair refused. Uh, and now you're still going to be a team player and try to work against it? I don't know if he refused it? or if we told him we could have the match. I, I don't want to I don't want to say Rick said no to a guy said he needed a night off. Uh I know I I talk I had a talk with Leon and convinced Leon that we could have a match. Would you consider yourself Vader's best friend in the company at that point besides Too Cold? <sighs> God, I don't know. Leon was kind of a loner. Yeah, you know, Leon, that's the vibe I got. And also when, you know, when things weren't going well for Leon, he could be really cranky. You know, business is tough enough. Then um, we all have our burdens to bear. Uh, and Leon, again, by virtue of the huge uh, amounts of money he would spend, <laughs> spend, was not going to be the right traveling partner. But I don't know if I was his best friend in the company. Are you saying in WCW or in WWE? Yeah, just at this point on that night, for instance, no. in the locker room, it's you and him and Too Cold. Or no, probably. I mean, Harley rode with him okay. all those years. Um, Leon and I, I think, became tighter in WCW. I mean, I earned Leon's respect. And I, I yeah, I'd say admiration in some ways. And he spoke really high, highly of me in the, his, his book. Um, but I did not consider myself a close friend at that point. Loved working with him. Um, I, you said we probably worked 100 times. It was probably a lot less than I I don't know if I'd be alive if I worked with him 100 times. Um, Sting probably worked with him 100 times. Yeah. I probably worked 30 or 40. I'm just saying, when you think of Vader in that era, you think of two opponents. You think of you and Sting. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, from your book, Have a Nice Day, this night in Munich would turn out to be even more pain. Too Cold Scorpio, a brilliant high flyer, had wrestled in the evening's first match and had complained that the ropes were too loose. Unbeknownst to me, the German roadies had tightened the cables to the maximum, so there was no give on the ropes at all. Um, and again, we, we sort of touched on this, but there is a translation issue, and we're not using our normal crew, and we're using a local crew, but 
it's apparent that no one at ringside ever communicates that note to the back, right? No. Uh, and I only knew that uh, Too Cold wanted them tightened up because you could see on the video that they were tightened up. And that he told me, I think there's an argument can be made that I should have tested the ropes, but I'm specifically not wanting to tip my hat that I have a spot. Of course. And now, whether or not people would have deduced that by me hitting the ropes, but I specifically don't do it because I don't want to tip my hat. But unbeknownst to me, the ropes are tighter, yeah. cables are tighter than I think there are going to be. So from your book, with my head caught in the ropes, I could immediately feel the difference. Instead of the normal pain that I had long ago accepted as a consequence for this exciting move, I felt as if my neck was in a vice. I literally felt like I was going to die right there. Uh, I'm usually known as a pretty good ring general, and I had kept a calm head in some pretty bizarre conditions, but in this case, I was panicking big time. Yeah. I began to do what no tough guy, big cheese, blood and guts wrestler, whatever <laughs> under normal conditions even think of. I began screaming, and I do mean screaming for help. <laughs> Vader later took the credit for getting me out, thereby saving my life. But video evidence showed that the big SOB with his back to me was yelling at the crowd, doing his whole who's the man gorilla grunting routine. So chat me up. You find yourself going over the top rope. You've got your head in this vice. Vader's hot dogging, thinking it's just part of the thing. Yeah. What's going on with the referee? Is, does the referee recognize you're in trouble? Referee, this is the surreal situation we're in. Referee it does not speak English because uh, Nick Patrick had been sent home, and I think uh, Pee Wee had been sent home. One due to a death in the family, one due to a knee injury. I can't remember which one was which. And so they, re- they replaced emergency replacement. French referee speaks no English. So I don't know what the fr- I can't remember the referees trying to help us. I do know that when um, when I make my way out of the ring and I get back in, then Leon, seeing that I'm bleeding badly, calls a comeback. To his credit, right? That's a great idea. Bleeding guy, call a comeback. And so I block a punch. I throw a punch, and it's there. You can see that thing fall off the side of my head. So it was still connected when I was on the mat, even though the blood blood was streaming down. And this is something I talked about in my uh, Hall of Fame induction speech. I said, uh, well, I didn't say this part, but I knew from history, as we talked about a little while ago. Doesn't bleed a lot. Doesn't bleed. So now when this thing is just pitter-pattering on the blue mats, and now my brain goes to that place where I start thinking about how similar uh, Ricky the Dragon steamboats... <laughs> entrance music sounds to listen to the rhythm of the falling rain because there's that pitter-patter and one goes listen to the rhythm of the falling rain and the other one goes loves his wife and kids and does the best he can Ricky Steamboat which I will argue is the most badass entrance music (laughs) with all due respect to the undertaker brother Loves his wife and kids. Um, that's what I'm thinking on the ring apron. I roll back in. Leon calls the comeback. Boom, I throw the punch. Off it goes. So now the French referee picks it up. Doesn't know how. He, I guess he could have showed it to us. But we kept wrestling. I'd love to say we wrestled for another five or six minutes. It was really like another 80 seconds, which is still commendable. Yeah. And by the time uh, the match ends... Uh, the referee's already given it to Gary Michael Capetta, the ring announcer. 
Gary can be seen, and this is where I don't know if he's actually sprinting with an arm's length. He's definitely moving quickly. And he hands that ear, uh, he hands it to, to the nature boy. He says, I have Mick Foley's ear. I have Cactus Jack's ear. What should I do with it? And it was Rick who said, we need to put it on a bag of ice. So I asked Gary after the fact, what did it look like? He said, it looked like a piece of uncooked chicken with tape on it. So in my defense, like I taped it up every time I was going to do that move, both ears. And I guess I was wrong when I said I never had the stitches in the left ear because in my book I said I did. Always more severe on the right-hand side, though. So you go into the match with tape on your ears. Yeah, I'm taped up behind both ears. But you don't think that would tip the hand as much as running the ropes? I had the long, I had the long hair. So nobody can see. Very few people are going to see it. And besides, we're used, so used to seeing tape on people in a sure. variety of places. I don't think tape on the ears is going to tip it at all. And plus, with the long, foley hair, nobody's going to see it anyway. Yeah. So this is the same day where Flair says, you're not getting over his baby face, we need to make you a heel, and then he sees your uncooked chicken with tape on it. Um, It is pretty amazing in hindsight to think that they didn't immediately try to turn that into a magazine article. It should have been in the cover of the magazine. First of all, WCW gave me the slide. They said we can never print this. Uh, And yet, for their... um, one of their pay-per-views where they had the old-timers back. Slamboree. Slamboree. Uh, almost every visual of those old-timers is them bleeding. Yes. And that's where I said, well, okay, so the new blood, no good. If it's 20 years or older, it was vintage blood, that's okay. But they did. They handed it back to me and said, you can do whatever you want with it. We will never print this. And that's like a... Do you still have it? Well, yeah, because we used it for... Uh, you should get that framed, uh, hang that on the wall. Uh, well, here's the thing about that that photo. is It is in the Have a Nice Day book. When I started doing horror conventions, like in 2003, I would get people buying that photo who were not even wrestling fans just because it was cool. And as... Uh, I'm trying to think of the guys now. Uh, Andrew Benarski, who... Uh, was Leatherface in the uh, Texas Chainsaw rematch uh, remake. He comes looking over at a show called Monster Mania in like 2003. He's looking at the tables. He goes, bro, you know you're the only guy with real blood in his photos. And I went, yeah, I guess I am. How about that? Yeah, I guess I am. It's a cool little footnote. Yeah, it's a cool little footnote. But it, it was just an exercise in frustration, the whole thing, from a... Having my, you know, I'm I'm getting my hopes up that they'll utilize the German I've been working on, and that doesn't happen. Then I'm told that the babyface run that I believe is going well, no matter what that rating said, because uh, you know I was I used to submit things to WCW showing a tale of ratings because you know a pattern is much better than a blitz. Yes. And I would show, like, for example, during this six-week run that I had, we did a six-week angle with me and uh, Dustin Rhodes just on TV. And that when they put us on Sunday night's main event, that during the course of those six weeks, the ratings slowly but steadily were ticking up. And uh, I thought that was about as intricate as any of their talent was going to get in pitching why they should... You know, several thousand words would go into these things, but then no one wants to read anything that's several thousand words. 
So I would stick up for why I thought I deserved, you know. I mean, if you came out of the, your negotiation with the same thing you had, that was a victory. Right. Because they were looking to to cut My money. Cut. And like, uh, as I you know, said a couple weeks ago, the conundrum you were in is you couldn't be a top guy unless you made top guy money. You couldn't make top guy money unless you were a top guy. So even though we talked about the potential for a Cactus Jack Hulk uh, program, probably Hulk was going to be uh, in the... All right, boys and girls, you know what time it is. It's time for me to tell you about Chili Sleep, and I was just telling Mick about it. And, and here's the thing about this, Mick. Science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering our core body temperature. And you've lived in the South. Mm-hmm. you got to have a ceiling fan in your bedroom. It's like we're required by law down here. Yes. Uh, well, here's the reason. Temperature-controlled sleep is going to repair your muscles after a hard day's work. It's going to improve your cognitive function so you can always start your day feeling sharp and alert. And that's been my experience. I have a chilly sleep. I've got the Uller system. I've had it for over a year now. It's changed my life. What I've got now is a customizable, climate-controlled sleep solution that improves my entire well-being. Now, they make the Uller. You can also check out the Cube sleep system. Either way, we're talking hydro-powered mattress Toppers, right? It's temperature controlled. It fits over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. Let me explain, Mick. My wife likes to sleep a little warmer. Right. So her side, she wants to be at like 75. I like to sleep a little cooler. I want to be at like 67. Yeah. I get a perfect night's sleep at that. But before I had chilly sleep, Mick, I'm cranking down the AC. I'm flipping the pillow. Now I'm paying to heat my laundry room. I, I don't need my laundry room to be cooler. I need my bed to be cooler. Chilly sleep has made that happen. This is perfect for you to get that deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. Chilly sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Real quick, listen to this now. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Chili Sleep can make that happen. They've made it happen for me. Prior to Chili Sleep, Mick, I was sleeping like five, six hours a night. With Chili Sleep, I'm seven, eight, nine. I even slept 10 hours once with Chili Sleep. It's unbelievable to wake up and not feel tired. It sounds incredible because I'm the same way. My wife likes it hotter. Mm-hmm. I like it cooler. Mm-hmm. I lose out. Of course. Lose that argument. I'm a guy. It's what we do. Yep. And uh, a guy in a successful marriage has to learn to admit he's wrong, even when he knows in his heart he's not, every Cor- once in a while. Correct. Has to learn to uh, make the uh, thermostat the wife's realm, but now we get our say. Well, yeah, man. And, and here's the thing, too. You don't want to wake up all hot and sweaty. You're not going to get a good night's sleep. You're going to get up and pee. You're going to be fighting with the covers. N- none of that anymore. So head on over to chillysleep.com forward slash Foley. To learn more and save 30% off the purchase of any new Cube or Uller sleep system, this offer is available exclusively for Mick Foley listeners and only for a limited time. That's chili, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com slash Foley to take advantage of our exclusive discount. Wake up refreshed every day. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender, SaveWithConrad.com. So the observer would have this to say of your incident that night. The pressure of the tightened cables was such that his ear was torn completely off. 
and his left ear was split badly, needing more than a dozen stitches to close the cut. Ring announcer Gary Capetta took the right ear and iced it. However, doctors were only able to save about one-third to half of the lower part of the right ear. Jack actually continued the match for another two minutes two minutes or so, making a big comeback before doing the planned job, which tickles me, the phrasing, the planned job. Um, did Vader know that the ear came off, or when did you know? When did he know? Leon, I don't know if he knew the ear came off. He knew I was... E- Injured. He saw the blood. Yeah. yeah, saw the blood. But his ear wasn't off yet. And I don't know if he saw the ear fall. Uh, the referee certainly did. But that was like almost in his uh, ring general DNA to take advantage of something like that. Hey, that's going to be a good pop. Set up a little bit of a comeback. And uh, and then we went home right after that, you know, a minute and five seconds later. Um, which was probably about how much time we would have done anyway. Uh and then once Leon got his armpit off me, because he did cover me with his armpit, it wasn't, wasn't pleasant, especially in the days when everyone wore hot stuff. That was a tough time to, yeah. tough time for your uh, senses. I reached up. Keep in mind, I've had my ear split, you know, at least a dozen times in the past. And I thought, okay, if it was bleeding this much, it must be, it must be pretty bad. And then I was like, whoa, there was a little wave of panic. But at the same time, there's a rush of adrenaline, which happens, you know. Injuries give you a heightened sense of awareness some of the time, and it kicks in that fight-or-flight reflex. So when I get back to the dressing room, I'm actually, like, (laughs) wired. Uh, Even in the photo that was taken immediately after, I have a little gleam in my eye. I think the gleam in my eye is there partially because I realize this is a Booker's dream. This is money. Like, all right, maybe they didn't use the uh, maybe they didn't use the uh, the German, but who's gonna who Nobody's is going to ignore this. this? You can't miss this. And I just thought, me and Leon cutting promos about the loss of an ear. That's I took be, your hearing. Now I'm going to take your sight. And blah, yeah, blah, blah. it's yeah. going to be big time. And I don't think the powers that be wanted an angle that was big time. At any point when you're in the back, and I know this sounds silly in hindsight, but does part of you think, can they reconstruct my? Yeah, ear? sure. Yeah, I was thinking. I, I was thinking it could be done because in the news at that time was that John Wayne Bobbitt fellow. Oh yeah, who had had a different body part uh, sewn back on. What I didn't realize is that think Vader took that one off too, <laughs> or maybe no, not. No, no. <laughs> I, there was one time Ron Simmons came darn close to having something like that with the ropes. Some, there was a move in the ropes. I was right there, WCW. I don't think Ron minds me talking about this unique injury. And then when he takes his supporter off, it's like this <laughs> its like this huge slice going around the circumference. And Ron was, oh, I don't want to, you know, I want to avoid... Sounded like I'm imitating Ron because no one's Ron except Ron. But his big concern was, how am I going to explain this to my wife? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no way to explain that, and it sounds plausible. So he suffered a severe penile injury, <laughs> and the only thing he was worried about was how do you explain the unexplainable? Whereas I suffer this severe injury. And I was kind of on a. I did a. I thought they could reconnect it. Uh, there's part of me that's proud of having finished that match 
and see how in the world are they going to deny this money-making device. I didn't know until 2013, uh, after my Hall of Fame induction speech, um, I'm glad I'm glad I went first because if I'd gone in the middle or at the end, I would have looked out and my family would have been gone because my son Mickey is on the spectrum. He just he can't handle crowds that long. So I was very thankful to go on first. I was able to enjoy the rest of the show. And I did not know that Booker and his brother Stevie Ray were on their first tour with WCW. And he said, I walk in and I said, I think I just lost my fucking ear. Bang, bang. And so when I heard that, I was like, well, first of all, that is an appropriate place to drop your rare F. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, and and the thing about the bang bang is like, man, I had the commitment, even when injured, to get that catchphrase in, in front of the boys. And not only did I get it in front of the boys, but later on years, I mean, two thousand five. So we're talking in two thousand, we're talking eleven years, eleven later. years later, two thousand five. Uh, I'm dying to get Adam West uh, to sign a photo. But I've heard that he won't sign things that Burt Ward, Robin, has signed. Uh, they're 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 separated, not just different tables, but there's like a wall and you know in between them. And uh, but I saw people coming. I thought, when's when's the next chance? This guy was super over with my uh, with my with me and my brother, with my older kids, now my younger kids. I'm going to give it a try. And I brought up the book. Somebody had the book, so I could show him that in 2000 and, oh no, 1990, uh, let me get my 90s right, in 96, that my kids went trick-or-treating, and not with the current black back, man, but the school. blue and gray, the way it was meant to be. Adam West, damn it. And that's what I wanted to show him. And when I walk up there, uh, his manager goes, whoa, wait, you sold quite a few of these, didn't you? I said, yeah, it did do well. And now Adam West grabs the book, not paying attention to the part that I had, you know, earmarked with uh, him in it. And he goes, I think I lost my fucking ear. Bang, bang. And he looks at me and goes, you've got a very unique writing style. You capture the listener right away. <laughs> so who knew in that dressing room in Munich that I would be making an impression on Adam West? That's awesome. 11 years later, right? It's too bad you didn't have the bat belt that night. Maybe you could have just sewed it back on. So what happens from there? I just lost my fucking ear, bang, bang. Yeah. Somebody take me to the hospital, right? Yeah. Uh, so I go there accompanied by the the, uh, the the ear and the plastic bag with the Did ice. Did they have an ambulance there? Uh, on yeah, the yeah, yeah. A, a Krankenwagen. Krank means sick. Krankenwagen. So you go to the Kronken house, the sick house, and the, the Kronkensfester is the nurse, right? Uh, everything based on the key word, Kronk, or sick. Uh, and even in the ambulance, all I can think is, imagine the promos. You know, I am that... Uh, I know DDP prides himself in the positivity, but I'm a glass-half-full guy. And all I can think is, imagine the promos. And it dawns on me that this is an injury that it writes itself. So you get to the hospital, and you're trying to remind them to grab your ear in the plastic bag. Plastic bag, which they do. And I know I spoke exclusively German to the surgeon. 
he probably spoke far better English than I spoke German. And um, and they worked on me for like four four hours. He explained to me that the ear was too badly uh, damaged to sew back on because it had been pushed off. But what he did at that time, uh, there were two different ways of of regenerating or keeping the, uh, the cartilage vital. One is to grow it on the back of a mouse's back, which some of you may, you know, you can see an ear growing on the back of a mouse. It's crazy looking. It is. And the other was to take the cartilage, and he gave me this little pouch up above my ear, and they stored the cartilage up there so that if I ever wanted to go to it, it's now, it's still in my head. So arguably, if they took that out, it would still be vital and a new ear could be constructed. I'm sure all the technology... That's in your head right now. Yeah, it's right there. I know this party dying to come over and uh, have, a, have a press around. I'll let you do that after we get off the air. But it's it's pretty cool, and I have spent many a flight playing with the... You know, it's just my little toy there. So he Here tried we, to attach it for four hours before... Well, he didn't try it. He, he understood that he could not attach it. Just based on the visual yeah. observation. So what they did was they took all the rips and the damage, and they made it look much better and salvageable so that I could still hear. So that's why it doesn't... It looks like a small ear, right? It, yeah. There's the left ear here, right ear. It looks like a small ear. looks like a small ear, and that's because of what they were able to do for me that night. I thought they would be able to put it back on. Uh, they were not, and then it was the next day or maybe later that night that the Kronkenfester... This is one of those great lines in wrestling, the irony was that the Kronkensvester shows me the ear, and then she steps on the uh, like the industrial medical wastebasket. I realize she's going to throw my ear out. And I said, oh, ich möchte mein Ohr zu haben, please, which means I wish to have my ear. So I didn't say keep, which would have been correct. I said, nein, es ist schmutzig, which means it's dirty. And while I stumbled in vain for the German word for formaldehyde, this is before eBay, because you would have that ear on a <laughs> you would have that ear on a shelf at the Conrad Museum, right? Sure yeah, who wouldn't want that bad boy? I just pictured myself like holding on to it on the pl- on the plane, and while I stumbled for that word, she threw it out. And now she probably just went like this, but in my mind, it was like something out of a Scorsese film. It was, and then sinking into the bottom of this industrial medical basket. But this is no exaggeration. She looked at me and said, Der catch, es ist all a Schauspiel. Yeah, Schauspiel means like a big joke or a show or fake. So she was saying, that Der catch, the wrestling is all fake, yes? And I just looked at the garbage bag can. I thought, if there's one time you should be given the benefit of the doubt on that whole fake real thing. It's when you've just had your ear thrown out in a garbage can began in Munich. But it was, it's amazing to me the person who threw your ear away then wanted to confirm wrestling's fake. Right? Wanted to confirm it, it, right. Is that not a real ear? <laughs> I mean, my goodness. So you did not keep the ear. Did not keep the ear. And now, uh, look, EB is your main man, right? Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I love EB. I've grown to really appreciate EB. And understand that if he hadn't given away the results, then, you know, I'm in a different place. Especially the way that I was seen within the business. Right. You know? 
uh, within the business when they saw those ratings. Whoa, I, I think we may have underestimated this guy's. It was place. no longer an opinion that you were a top guy. It was a fact. Yeah, that, thank you. Um, but I believe Eric may have forgotten to call my wife. Uh, he said that he was going to make that call. So when I called the next day and I said, did Eric Bischoff talk, Bischoff talk to you? And I went, no, what, what? I said, well, I've got some good news and some bad news. She said, well, what's the good news? I said, good news is I'll be coming home from this tour a couple days early. She said, what's the bad news? I said, one of my ears is not making the journey with me. And that's when she screamed, no. Oh, and uh, the worst part of the stay for me was that I, I was by myself in a room, which is generally what you want, but I had no reading materials. There's no TV. There's no one coming to visit. It's just whatever those 42 hours I spent by myself. I think someone did come visit with an American novel they gave me a couple of days later. But I was looking at like a week-long hospital stay because we needed the antibiotics. And I convinced them that if I could catch a nonstop flight uh, and get to a doctor as soon as I got there, I'd only be missing one antibiotic treatment. And that was the difference between spending three days, in a, two and a half days in the hospital and spending a week in the hospital. So just to add context to this, Bischoff was there that night? No, no. I think I spoke to him on the phone. Okay. I think. I think. Uh, I think I spoke to him on the phone. And he said he would he would tell my wife. You said a moment ago, you know, they were able to make your ear look like a small ear. So there was a little bit of, maybe not plastic surgery, but cosmetic of some sort. Yeah, yeah. But they saved your hearing. So we didn't talk about that. Could you hear or was it just muffled because of the blood or what, what? was happening? Excuse me? <laughs> in that moment was your hearing lost yeah, no no it was it was okay uh but they were concerned that it could potentially lead to hearing loss i don't think they ever approached me about that okay i don't think they ever thought that was an issue it never crossed your mind though. you knew it was uh for lack of a better word a flesh wound i was too excited about the promos i could cut okay i say and i remember one time my youngest son huey when he was like eight he finds the photo right and uh, and, oh, God, there's his dad. He goes, dad, are you okay? I said, yeah. He goes, can you hear? I said, what? He said, can you hear? I said, why do you get real up close? Like, yeah. Buddy, you got to speak up. I've only got one ear. And then I tell him I'm ribbing him. Uh, so the ear, the, that was never an issue. What was an issue was because of the reshaping is that this ear would get easily infected. I see. So if I, I, when I went in the Foley pool, it was almost a given that there was going to be a price to pay for that. Whenever I chose to go underwater. This is, even it, still today? Yeah, even still today because it's, uh, it's like it, it has to go down a... Uh, I can't, I can't I can't listen to the phone in this ear either just because of the way the uh the ear is shaped it doesn't lend itself to conversation. You ever try to put an earbud in? An ear uh, one of those Apple gimmicks? Um I may have. I do know that uh there's that uncomfortable moment when uh WWE would try to mic me and put the uh, thing on like I remember Renee saying you're going to tell them. You know Renee Paquette and I'd say let him find out himself. So it takes about like Thirty seconds for them to realize. What, I don't have any ear, you know. Don't worry about it. 
Um, but other than that, yeah, other than not, for a while I couldn't wear sunglasses. Uh, you were there when I mentioned uh, to nothing but groans that I had to give up my dream of becoming a carpenter. <laughs> the worst joke. But here's the thing. It never gets over, which is why I love it. You did it on ACW TV, something like that. Did I really? I, I thought you did something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's so. such a groaner. But it, for people who do get it, they get a kick out of it. But it's never like it gets a lot of laughs. It gets one or two laughs. And then even after I fill people in on the punchline, it's still not that funny. But I love saying it. Because, you know, I love that. You need that in your show. Yeah, you need to have one yeah. groaner, yeah. Not every match is a five-star. That's right, Not yeah. Not every joke there is. You go. There you go. So, um, <laughs> the Observer would write this. He returned to the U.S. from Germany on Friday or Saturday and is receiving daily in-home treatment from a nurse. There's no definite prognosis on when he'll be able to return to wrestling, although he is said to be hopeful of returning for the April 17th Spring Stampede pay-per-view in Chicago. Almost shockingly, in the poorest taste possible, WCW and its company newsletter made a joke of the injury, calling him Vincent Van Jack, saying Jack did his best Vincent Van Gogh imitation, and said how after the match, Cactus grabbed a photographer to make sure it would capture this Kodak moment on film forever, and said that Jack was being sent home from the tour eerily, and closed with, if Cactus Jack hit the ropes differently... We could be making comparisons to John Wayne Bobbitt rather than Van Gogh, and even had a photo caption saying that Cactus Friends can cross earmuffs from their Christmas list wish for him this year. So WCW did something with it, but not very much. <laughs> not very much. No, no, not, not very much. Um, what's what's the talk in the business? Like, what are the guys saying? Are you... Are, I'm just curious because this is something that, as far as I know, has never happened in wrestling before. It did happen to um, Killer Kowalski. Oh, yeah, the Kowalski story. Yeah, I got his name when uh, he gave the knee to Yukon Eric. Eric had the heavily cauliflowered ear. And that's the same, uh, kind of the same way, not a flying knee, but uh, Leslie Smith, the UFC fighter, almost lost her ear that same way, but it was a punch mm-hmm. that kind of knocked that whole cauliflower section uh, off and she was able to get that repaired uh, and she and I formed quite a friendship, long term friendship over that uh, similarity we have um, but the talk in wrestling I, you know when I received a really nice card signed by a bunch of WWE guys Wow! some of whom I had never met and I remember specifically like wow Bret Hart signed this card that was really cool. I that think is a, cool. I think a fan, I don't know if WWE did it of their own volition or if a fan uh, got it signed at a um, at an event, but it was signed by so many people, it seems like it would have had to have been backstage. And I thought that was nice. I thought it was nice that the uh, guys in the WCW bus were singing Stuck in the Middle with You. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, right? Um, the, is it Michael Madsen? Is it? Yep. Uh, yeah, the actor. Who did so well in, in into the stuck in the middle with you Steelers wheel tune? Um, they did that that night on the bus, or the next they were tour? singing. Yeah, I guess yeah. they were singing it throughout the rest of the tour. Yeah, showing their sorrow. Wrestling fans, it's time to win with Zinn. Get to WrestlingPrizes.com to register for your chance to win one of four. 
once-in-a-lifetime digital Q&A sessions with wrestling legends Ric Flair, Eric Bischoff, Jim Ross, or Mick Foley. Winners also get an autographed replica championship belt and a prize pack from Zinn, America's number one nicotine pouch. Register once per day, now through July 15th, WrestlingPrizes.com. No purchase necessary to enter or win. Open to U.S. residents 21 and over. Void where prohibited. For official rules, visit WrestlingPrizes.com. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Who's going to take care of your family if something happens to you? What would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to GoliathLife.com. Get a quick quote for more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to GoliathLife.com. So, um, as far as Vader goes, you know, you're, you're pretty panicked when this thing is happening and he's clearly oblivious to what's happening. Yeah. Any hurt feelings on your side about that? Or did you recognize no, he didn't know? I, he didn't know. And then when he did realize I was hurt, he called a comeback, which was a cool thing to do. Yeah. Uh, no, no bad feelings at all about that. Uh, when did you... Especially so, because for two years, you let me believe you'd saved my life by getting me out of there. Right. So I didn't have any hard feelings. I thought he'd saved my life. I think I was thanking him up and down. So I'm curious, you know, they say that, uh, got to get back on the horse again. How long is it before you do that spot again? Whew. And is the thinking when you decide to do it again, well, shit, how much worse can it be? <laughs> Uh, you know what um, I don't believe I did it in WCW again so that was uh, March right March 16th yep I think the next time I did it was that I know of was December uh, in ECW with Terry Funk okay and that's the one where he it's a combination um, hangman hard way so that when I get out, I not only you know have pried my way out of those ropes, but I get the big split over my eyebrow, courtesy of the Terry Funk left hand. I don't know for a fact that I did it before then, but I I might have. I'm trying to think if I might have done it in uh, no because I didn't start my uh, Japanese tours till January '95. So I think probably the first time I did it after the injury was six, seven months later, eight months later. That just feels like to me a time when Mrs. Foley says, okay, Mick, we're going to pinky promise. You're not doing that spot anymore. But she didn't do that. I don't think so. So um, knowing the way I think I do now, I mean, you have to think this is going to be the catalyst for a monster push. And if WCW is not going to do something with it, you at least think, I'm going to do something with it. We saw those series of ECW promos, but do you think you ever really got the proper mileage of it, or is that one of those timing is everything? No, timing timing was everything. The time, There was some thought of having Leon and I revisit that in WWE, especially when we were a tag team. That was going to be maybe the uh, what led to the falling out. I was revisiting that moment, but the yeah, time was really of the essence. And I didn't. Re- I didn't think it could be capitalized on in ECW or in Japan. I just wanted to get out of, the, you know, the really smothering environment. And also, Oli was back. Um, you know, Rick had had the talk with me. 
about becoming a, a baby face. And it just clearly they they were not looking at me as being a high priority. And again, I, I uh, you know, I may have seemed like a dreamer at the time, but the dreaming paid off because you know there were better things in store for me down the road. Would your career have changed any had this not happened? I mean, if you, do you sure. think you still would have put a notice in? And no, I think I would have, uh, as a guy with two kids, I mean, I may have eventually put the notice in. If, but not uh, them. But, but I was okay. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I was working with Max as a tag team, and we were having good matches. We had that real good match with the Nasties. Uh, and then I, Kevin and I were a pretty good tag team. Um and it was just three grand a week would have been hard to turn down when there's no other option. Um, but having been given this great gift from the wrestling gods and had it sent back, yeah, it was that was enough for me to to want to look elsewhere. And we know you do, and boy, it's a, it's a long story from there. Next week we'll continue the story. Talking about your first WrestleMania, you're going to get paired up with the same guy who ripped your ear off here and challenged for the tag titles against Owen and Davey Boy. Uh, and then we're essentially laying some groundwork for what's going to be the biggest breakout year of your career, 1997. Um, but that was his mankind. And the rumor and innuendo is we've got a cameo today with someone who wants to hear from another persona. Oh, that's right, but I don't have my, uh, I'd have to get my bag. So here we are. It's cameo time. We're going to end every Foley's pod this way, and uh, you can book one right now at cameo.com forward slash Mick Foley, but it's definitely not a plug. It's not it's a plug. informational. We're just informational, sharing. It's like, uh, it's like almost like a gift we're giving you. It is. Speaking of gifts, I don't know if we want to be those guys getting controversial for the sake of getting controversial, but should we explore this this subject that you and I just touched on lightly? I mean, I'm for it. Do you want to do that before or after the cameo? Uh, whenever you like. Uh, uh, let's close with it. Let's close with it. Okay. Instead, let's keep things all smiles. All right, keep it all smiles. And we'll send them home with a controversy. Brother, we are going to send you home with something to talk about. People, This is going to be trending <laughs> when we're done. Uh, just like this cameo might be. It's a cameo.com forward slash Mick Foley. What do we got today, man? We go um, uh, Ruthless Rob. And a uh, shout-out is Cactus Sack for Big Money Hustlers, JCW, Juggalo Championship Wrestling, and Strangle Mania legend Cactus Sack here with a shout-out to Ruthless Rob. Okay, uh, and he is hardcore lawyer here with a shout-out to my... Right. It's a pretty simple request, so I'm going to do it. Ready? All ready. All right. Hello, Ruthless Rob. This is the hardcore legend Mick Foley with a shout-out from the guy who played uh, Cactus Sack in Big Money Hustlers. I know you are a big-time Juggalo Championship Wrestling fan and a Stranglemania fan, and you love the legend of Cactus Sack. But unfortunately, I can't just change into characters. It's not like I possess any magic powers that allow me to just kind of transform. It's not like I can just tap my heels together three times and say there's no place like home, there's no place like home, there's no place like oh my god, I feel, so, I feel something happening here, it's like a complete transformation is taking place I don't know what it is bang bang, this is Cactus Sack, I wanted to tell you despite the fact you can't see my bloody my blood 
<laughs> Son of a gun. Where is the bandage? It fell off behind you. fell off behind me. But we're going to make this the, uh, the highlight reel. Where'd it go? <laughs> uh, we have to keep Dave Silva in the frame. Lead taking up the bloody... I knew know. as he... This uh, this wig is a little nicer than what I usually. I got to get this thing tied on really good. Oh, what an embarrassment that was! A peek behind the curtain here, folks. This is really a peek behind the curtain. I'm usually a one take guy. But the point is, you're not phoning it in. I'm <laughs> not phoning it. Technically, I'm using my phone to phone it in. So I guess literally you are. But you know what we mean, yeah, figuratively. Right. Okay, let's try this again. Where's my noisemaker there? there? It's under my chair. It's under my chair. <laughs> This is the best $12.99 I ever spent on Amazon for the magic wand. Between that and, and you ordering a Mankind mask, mask. from Amazon, <laughs> you, you might be their biggest ambassador. Now I go to Etsy and request, buy them from Bangkok. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. All right, ready? Ready? <laughs> Ruthless Rob, this is the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. Take two, we just did this amazing video for you. And then it had a wardrobe malfunction. Uh, Janet Jackson-esque type of that that level of wardrobe malfunction. Ruthless Rob, this is the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. And I understand you are a big-time JCW fan, a Stranglemania fan. And that you're actually looking for the legendary Cactus Sack, who starred in Big Money Hustlers. Uh, Ruthless Rob, I'm sorry, but uh, I don't want to disappoint. We we t- we try our best to uh, exceed your expectations, but in this case, it's going to be a little bit of a disappointment because, unfortunately, I don't have any means to just transform into characters I portrayed 25 years ago. It's not like I have some type of magic wand that just allows me to check. What the heck is going on here? Ruthless Rob, I don't know what's going on, but it's almost like something's overtaking me. Please tell me this... <laughs> <laughs> it's good enough. This is Cactus Sack. Been growing my hair out for a while. I wanted to say to you, thank you for being a big fan. And bang, 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 bang. Whoa, we just saw the return of Cactus Sack in a major, major way. Thank you so much, Ruthless Rob, for being a big fan. Ruthless Rob, also known as Maggot Mouth. Bang, bang. Yes, whoop whoop, it's Cactus Jack, the hardcore legend, and Mick Foley, the original face of Foley, saying thank you for being a fan. Keep on watching Strangle Mania, and may all your days be nice. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. There we go. Cameo.com forward slash Mick Foley. Just making dreams come true every which way, buddy. Now, mental note, never use this wig again unless I start the video. This one's not as good for a quick change of pace. We better cover up this failure by ushering into the uh, wrestling... Controversy. Uh, controversy, yeah. I, I can't believe the internet hasn't been talking about this. We're going to this, maybe break the internet with this. I think we're breaking the story and the internet and possibly my friendship with John Cena. Oh, well. Um, you know, when was the last time he saw you? Because I hear you can't even see him. Can't see him. Yeah. So, uh, you pointed something out to me. You, you mentioned it yesterday, but I didn't really pick up what you were talking about. And then today at lunch, we had a chance to compare notes, 
And I'm with you. I'm signed on to your conspiracy here. I laid out the evidence but didn't tell you what it was you were looking for. No. And then out of context, I didn't get it. But once you pointed it out, boy, it's obvious. Okay, he's trying to pull a fast one over. Uh, Somebody's trying to pull a fast one on a lot of us. I blame Cena. Now, giving probably was. uh, We'll let people judge for themselves. I'm giving him his props. I loved the movie. Um, Vacation Friends. Everybody does. Great, oh, great what job. a great movie. I didn't realize it came out uh, a year and a half ago, I think, but it's a great movie. Cena's really come into his own as an actor. I think all those years around all those wacky characters allow him to portray a wacky wacky characters. He's done four or five really good ones. He can play the straight man. He's a really, really good and actor. Peacemaker was a huge hit. Yeah, yeah. I've got to watch that. It's next on my list. But, all right, I've got the nice stuff out of the way. Yes. Let can we can we put that visual up there so people can see? Absolutely. All right, let's put it up there, and it looks good. There's John Cena. He's obviously got some product in his hair. But let me tell you something, brother. I know John Cena. John Cena is a friend of mine. John Cena has a forearm that I referred to in my Santa memoir as one that Popeye the Sailor Man would be obvious of. Would be uh, jealous of, of. envious. You're not obvious of. But it's obvious to me that's not John Cena's forearm nope. in the movie poster. It's not. That's a normal person's forearm. It is. And John Cena does not have a normal forearm. Can we throw up a, a photo of John Cena uh, with those massive forearms? If the forearm don't fit, you must acquit. You must acquit. And I'll tell you this. We've learned today you do all of your own stunts. I do. That's a stunt forearm. That's a stunt. Somebody Cena didn't have the guts. Stamina, the intestinal the fortitude, fortitude to step in there and do that photo shoot on his own. He was, I think, I think it might sound uh, slanderous. I think uh, that uh, there was some photoshopping going on. Wow, I'm not even sure all those four people were in the same room at the same time, and they just thought they're going to drape a normal forearm and they're going to get that past me. Uh-uh. No. Not on my watch. Not in Mick Foley's America. So, John Cena, you have some splaining to do. Well, and I'll tell you this. You, you know, you you were known for your forearms in yeah, wrestling. Was, yeah. But I think we can all agree that we're looking at a fake forearm. <laughs> my, that's the difference. You're talking about a guy who prided himself on real forearms. That's right. Uh, discovering the fake forearm. Of one of his uh, contemporaries. Mick Foley doesn't do blood capsules. No. No. And he doesn't do fake forearms either, by God. Right. And Real forearms. We've seen a fake forearm in our midst, and it's time we report on it, get to the bottom of it, expose those who are responsible, and if it costs me my friendship with uh, John Cena... It's worth it. So be it. Um, just for funsies, let's see the Foley forearm, and then we'll have Silva Photoshop it into the movie poster. So if he's going to use a fake forearm... Might as well be mine, right? You're available for that. forearm work. And it's a hairy forearm, right. just like that one was, right? Look at that. Oh, man, it's shaking because I'm doing the DDP dynamic function. <laughs> the most exercise I've had in about a... Uh, <sighs> whew, that was painful. So before we leave, I think we should probably tell about our uh, fun little situation that happened at lunch today that apparently happens to you all the time. <laughs> yeah. 
But the comedic timing you had on the exit was really, really well done. <laughs> so do you want to set the stage or should I? So uh, Mick has been staying in town here near uh, our favorite Mexican restaurant. So we decided we were going to have that for lunch today. So I meet him over and grab our table ahead of time. And Mick comes in and he's barely at the seat five minutes. And the host who was at the front desk came over and said, has anyone ever told you that you look just like mankind? Yeah. And while Mick is wearing a Cactus Jack Mankind shirt, he says, I get that all the time. So I'm not lying. No. My kid, like Huey, my youngest, you said, Dad, why do you lie? I said, I'm not lying. I'm answering that question. And if he follows up and says, are you him? I will say, yes, I am. But until they do that, I will just acknowledge that they're, they are right. Yes. And then upon our exit... We have to walk right past that host stand, and there he stands. Mick takes one step out of the restaurant and then back in and goes, Have a nice day! <laughs> Which is just the most Mick Foley thing ever. I uh, This has been a lot of fun, man. I don't know what I expected when we started doing these pods, but this has been a fun... Can I add one more ride. story to Please that? Please do. Okay. So you know, uh, well, you've seen how it usually goes. Excuse me, are you... Yes. Anyone ever told you that? Excuse me, but are you? So, a couple of, two years ago, I'm at a Nets, uh, Brooklyn Nets game with my son Huey. And the Nets, you know, I only ask once or twice a year. They set us up really good seats. We're second row underneath the basket. And Huey and I are sitting there, and this businessman, you know, you know the look. We're a yes. successful guy. His kids aren't lacking for anything. And as soon as they get there, one of the kids points to the dad, points to me, and I see a lot of whispering going on. Huey goes, Dad, you've been recognized. Yeah, I know. You know, it's part, it's part of what you do. You, you might as well enjoy it, right? Yes. You're under the basket. There's still 30 minutes left to go. And so when the guy comes over, he says, excuse me, I hate to interrupt you. I know you're with your family. So he's ticked off all the right boxes. Yes. I know you must get this a lot, but... Are you Robin Lopez's father? Because <laughs> Robin Lopez is a seven-foot basketball player with the wild hair. This is before I cut the hair real short. And I just burst out laughing. That's the last thing in the world. No. I, I, Robin, Lopez is, Robin Lopez and his brother Brooke are seven-foot basketball players. I said, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm not. He goes, you never get that? I said, it's actually the first time I've gotten that. And then later on, I would tell, I would told, told him who I was because I'm now texting about it. So I say, so Huey sees me when I, I, I tag in Chicago Bulls NBA. Dad, that's what, nobody's going to care about that. And I end up doing a, a, a shot when Robin Lopez is taking a photo, uh, taking a, a foul shot, and I say, you can do it, son. And so after the game, now we see that the Bulls have commented, the NBA has commented, and about an hour and a half after the game, uh, Robin Lopez says, for 10 years I've been leaving these tickets, and you finally made it. I love you, Dad. <laughs> oh, my God. How great is that? <laughs> all starting out with that classic, uh, you know, the, the one we've all heard, excuse me, I know you're with your family. I hate to do this. I know you get this a lot, but are you Robin Lopez's father? Sounds like a fun shirt, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah.
Well, Mick, this has been fun, man. We've had three days recording here back to back to back the first three episodes of Foley's Pod. Uh, three episodes in, what do you think? I think it's good. I think uh, I'm thinking as we're doing it that it's the type of show people will want to listen to. I agree. And uh, I, I thank people who are listening. I know there are a lot of choices out there. You can't listen to them all. I don't know if there's enough hours in a day to listen to every wrestling podcast. There's not. So you have to make choices. And if you've chosen to spend some time with me and Conrad, I appreciate it. Thank you guys very much. Tell your friends. Hit the subscribe button. Follow us on social. We're at Polius Pod everywhere. And uh, we'll be back in your phone next week talking to WrestleMania 13. I like it. See you then.